How much would it take for God to stop wanting you? Like, what would it take for God to be done with us? Like, to finally give up on not just using us for something good, but even seeing us as being worth the effort to keep around, to, to keep forgiving. Well, the truth is ridiculous, illogical, and amazing. So, let's talk about it together. Experience tells us that failure leads to rejection. We know that because people have failed us and we've rejected them. Or we've failed others and have been rejected in turn. So what about God? How does he see our failures? And before we get into it, I, we need, I need to give you a, a disclaimer. Because there might be a few people watching and listening that might be tempted to think I'm saying something in this episode that I'm not saying. See, often people try to minimize the horror of what they're doing or what they did by calling it a failing or I had a failure. When what it should be called is what it is, evil and abuse. An example would be systematic ongoing abuse, whether it's something that happened in the past or something that's happening currently. And here's the truth. Jesus does not turn a blind eye to those who use their power and authority to hurt others. And he also has some incredibly strong things to say against those who would harm innocent children. It's evil, and it must be dealt with, and justice must and will be done. And so I'm warning you, in the name of Jesus, you cannot use the story we're about to talk about as an excuse to ignore or not deal with the evil you or others you know have or are committing. But as we will see in this episode, Jesus's offensive grace is available for all who truly want it, for all who accept it, and for all who admit their need for it. Yes, there will still be, and there still needs to be, consequences and justice for evil, sometimes life-changing consequences. But his love doesn't change. And so the difference is between those who try to minimize, cover up, and excuse their evil, their failings, and those who admit what they did and are horrified by it. So what we're talking about here in this episode are failures, large and small, that keep clinging to us. Things we, we didn't want to do, things that we tried so hard to avoid, things that we had no intention of falling into but did anyway. Like when we swore to be faithful in sickness and in health, and now we're staring divorce in the face. When we get overly frustrated with our kids and just feel like terrible parents. Maybe when you, uh, when you flunked out or you couldn't live up to expectations you had of yourself or that others had of you or what you think God's ex expectations of you were. Or when we choose selfishness over love. See, in those times we think, sure, God loves me. God accepts me, but I feel like I can't even, I feel like he can't even look at me because of what I've done. I've failed too many times. I've failed too big. How can I even pray right now expecting him to listen to me, let alone make any kind of difference for him in the world or, or with him? Like really, the best I can do for my life now is, is, hope, is, is to hope that he tolerates me if I just try to get through life trying to be the best person I can. I think that's natural. I think that's logical to feel that way because that's how we've treated people. And that's how we've been treated. But Jesus is different. 
Jesus embraces and renews our failures. And the proof of that is in the, in the story of one of Jesus' closest friends and how Jesus dealt with his failure. And what we'll see in this story is how Jesus deals with our failures and how we can deal with those who fail us. And this is the story of Simon, a fisherman. He was one of Jesus' first followers. In fact, Jesus preaches one of his first sermons in Simon's boat. And the story that we're told is that Jesus preaches the sermon. Simon was fishing all night, couldn't catch anything. Jesus finishes his sermon. He's like, hey, Simon, throw your net over there. And Simon's like, we've been fishing all night. You don't even know what you're talking about. And Jesus is like, well, just try it. So Simon casts his net, and he catches so many fish that the boat almost starts flooding. And so that's Peter, right? Simon turns into Peter. Jesus changes Simon's name into Peter, which means rock. And Peter becomes the leader of the 12 disciples. He's always named first on the list of the disciples. He always spoke first, often without thinking. Like, he's the one who would ask questions when Jesus would say some pretty weird stuff. In fact, Peter was the first one to recognize Jesus' deity. When Jesus said, who do you say I am? He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. So, during Jesus' last dinner with his disciples, he tells them that he's about to be arrested. He tells them that he's about to be executed. And he tells them that every single one of them will desert him. And, of course, Peter speaks up. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Those are some big promises. Even if I have to die with you? Those, like, those are some big boasts. And I believe Peter truly meant it. But the problem is, he meant it, but he based his confidence on himself. He based it on his good intentions, on his love, on his ability, on his faithfulness. And so when Jesus is arrested later that night, Peter decides to take things into his own hand, being confident in himself. And he tries to fight back, tries to fight the guards. And he cuts a guy's ear off, a guy named Malchus, who was the servant of the high priest. How do we know his personal name? Because he was a witness. Anyway, gets, Malchus gets his ear cut off. Jesus puts it back on, which probably changed Malchus's life, which is why we know his name. And the soldiers take Jesus for a late night trial. But Peter and John follow. And they follow Jesus and the soldiers into the courtyard of where the trial is taking place. I mean, that's some courage, right? They follow behind to check on Jesus. They can see what's going on with the trial. But then Peter finds out when our confidence is based on our intentions and abilities, failure is not far behind. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, uh, This man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, You must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted. This must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. 
and Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. A complete, utter failure. Can you imagine that? You just denied Jesus three times, and he hears you, and he turns and looks right at you? Can you imagine the pain, the humiliation? I don't think that's, you know, I don't think Jesus' look was of anger or annoyance of, or, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. I mean, he just predicted it. Jesus wasn't surprised. See, our failures don't surprise Jesus. I think he had mercy and, and kind of compassionate knowing in his eyes. And a few hours later, Jesus was crucified. It's all over, right? For Peter, for the disciples, it's all over. Like everything we thought Jesus was going to do obviously isn't going to happen. He's dead. All hope is lost. And Peter has no chance to make it right. He probably goes through, goes through the whole evening over and over in his head, wishing to do it differently, wishing that he maybe cut differently with a sword or, or stood boldly and, and died next to Jesus, which is why I think this is a true story. Like nobody makes themselves look like this in a story they're making up in order to gain power, whatever that is. So a few days after Jesus' execution, the women who followed him went to his tomb to make sure his body was prepared properly in their cultural way. But the stone was rolled away. The soldiers who were guarding the tomb were gone and Jesus' body was missing. And not only that, these women see a man sitting there wearing a white robe and it says, they were alarmed. Like if you read the Bible, like we normally read scripture, you read it, they were alarmed. But no, it's like they were terrified. There's this like glowing guy sitting there and he talks to them. But the angel, that's the guy in the white clothes, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. Did you catch that? Go and tell his disciples, including Peter. He makes a point to tell Peter that he hasn't been forgotten. Even more, that he is still in. He is still part of the group. Think about it. Peter had completely, like he bragged about it, and then he completely denied Jesus. Had Peter done anything to deserve to be included in still? No. He'd just been hiding with everyone else. He hadn't like said, I'm sorry I denied Jesus. No, I believed in Jesus. No, he was a coward like everybody else. But Jesus doesn't view us through our performance. He views us through his never-ending love. So Jesus later appears to the disciples and shows his, his nail scars. And he actually has food with them, proving that he actually is resurrected like he said he would be. And I'm thinking, sure, I'm sure Peter's happy, right? His friend is alive. The one he thought was dead is now alive and, and something has changed. I mean, like, imagine it, the, the joy and the relief. But I think he knows his days of working for Jesus, his days of working with Jesus. The, the future that he foresaw of being part of the kingdom is over. He's still a complete failure. And sure, he might be forgiven, but nobody's going to give him responsibility in this new kingdom that this resurrected Lord is bringing after what he did? No. So he and six other disciples, including John, go back to their boats and their fishing career. And they go out one night and they don't catch anything. Like he's, he's even a failure at what he used to be good at, what he used to earn a living at. He can't even go back to doing that. 
But Jesus shows up. He's on the shore. They're on the boat. He's on the, sh- on the shore, and they don't recognize him. And in a callback to how they first met, he says, hey, how's the fishing going? Oh, sucks, huh? Well, go cast your nets on this side of the boat. And when they do, they catch 153 fish. A very specific number that makes you think an eyewitness wrote that. 153 fish. It almost swamps the boat, and they realize it's Jesus. And then he invites them to have a fish, a fish breakfast on the shore around a fire. And now, if you're Jesus, what would you do here? Right? If, imagine if you had an employee or a colleague that not only promised to do a job, but arrogantly said in front of the entire uh, staff that they would do a better job than anyone else. Even if all of these fail, I will be able to pull this off. But then they failed so miserably that the CEO ended up, ended up killed and it put the entire company at risk. Right? They'd at the very least be fired. Not with Jesus. See, Jesus' love gives us, gives us the space and the ability to grow from our failures. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my, my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these? Like, Peter, do you remember that boast you said? What do you think now? Do you love me more than these? And Peter says, well, yeah, you know I love you. He leaves out more than these, right? Maybe he learned his lesson. And Jesus asks him three times around the fire if he loves him. Seems like he's mirroring the three denials that Peter gave around a different fire. He says, do you love me? Jesus knew the answer, right? Jesus knew Peter's true heart, Peter's true intention, what Peter actually wanted to do but failed at. The question isn't for Jesus. The question is for Peter. And he didn't get it at first. See, He's saying, Jesus is saying, Peter, I still want you. So do you accept that you can still love me? Do you accept that you can still do great things even after you've failed? I knew you would fail. I told you you would. But I never based anything on what you can do. I based it all on what I will do in you. Peter, you are still my guy. So take care of my sheep. Lead my church. Why? Because it's not what you can do. I will give you my love. I will give you the ability to love me the way you actually want to. Jesus says, Peter, when you let go, when you denied me, I was still holding on. It's not about what you did. It's about what I did. You failed, but I conquered for you. It's not about what you can or can't do. It's about what I am going to do in and through you. Because you have my love in you, and I will love through you. And he says, you will lead this new movement. And you don't believe me? Peter, you are going to become one of the bravest, most courageous leaders of the church. In fact, your courage in me, not in yourself, your courage in me, will inspire and transform millions. Jesus goes on. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Which sounds weird, so Jesus explains it. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. And that's what happened. Around 64 AD, under the emperor Nero, Peter was crucified. Actually, upside down. Tradition says he asked to be crucified upside down so he wouldn't die the exact same way that his Lord died. And in telling Peter that he's going to die that way, Jesus is reassuring him. I know that sounds weird. Jesus is reassuring Peter that his past failure will be nothing compared to what will, be, what will become of him through Jesus' transforming love. See, our failures are not stronger than Jesus' love and plan for us. And then, I think it's amazing, Jesus gave Peter the exact same call he gave to him at the very beginning. When Jesus first picked Peter to be his disciple, before Peter had done anything to deserve being a disciple, and now he had done everything to lose being a disciple, he gives him the exact same call. He says, follow me. Be following me with your life. Don't worry about the past. Don't dwell on you and what you did. Don't worry about what may or may not happen in the future, what you may or may not be in the future. Don't focus on you at all. It's not about you at all. Just keep following me. Stop looking back and look at me. When we are focused on following Jesus, it's difficult to focus on our past. And Peter's story is so powerful, I think, because we can see ourselves in it. We've all failed. And we will again. We've ruined relationships. We've wasted opportunities. We've ruined potential. Maybe we've even ruined families. And so many people think that God expects us to just follow his rules and be perfect in order to actually be accepted by him. That he can only do good things through good people. Nothing could be further from the truth. He knew we would not ever measure up to perfection that we would fail, that our selfishness would constantly try to overtake us. That's why he came. That's why he made a way, the way, to be forgiven, to be renewed, to have our relationship with him restored. He conquered the power of sin on the cross and rose again to give us new life through him. And he offers forgiveness and true acceptance. And we just have to choose to trust him. And when we choose to trust him and accept that he can use us for good, we can stop looking at our failures and start looking around. We can stop looking back and start looking around to find others to love with Jesus's love. Because when we accept our weakness, that's what makes us stronger. Because that's when we realize it's Jesus, not ourselves, not our good intentions that give us strength. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, when I am weak, then I am strong. And then when others fail us, because they will, Instead of canceling them or saying, oh, I don't trust you, or, or kind of pushing them aside and avoiding them, we can have the strength to offer grace and forgiveness, the same grace and forgiveness Jesus constantly and consistently insists on giving to us. When we can stop looking at our failures, we can see the good God wants us to give to others. The Apostle Paul sums all of this up perfectly in the book of Ephesians. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. 
Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. I think to really understand what Jesus has done and what that allows us to become and be and do through him, I think we need to really get what Paul's writing there. So let's, this week, that's our homework. Let's read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 every day. Really understand what that's saying about who Jesus is and what he's doing in and through us. When you read that, pray this. Pray, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for restoring me. Help me stop looking back at my failures and instead look ahead by following you and by loving those you send into my path, especially those who fail me. You don't have to memorize every word. I know that was long. And you might be asking, that's great that he accepts me and I, I understand that up here, but I still have that guilt. I know I'm forgiven, but I'm still guilty. If that's the case, then spend a lot of time reading 1 John. It's in the back of your Bible. 1 John, especially these two passages, 1 John 2, 1 and 2, and 1 John 3, 20, saying that our, our feelings might make us feel guilty, but God knows even better who we really are, and our, we don't have to have that guilt. I mean, think about it. What if we weren't paralyzed by dwelling on our failures? What if we let Jesus use them to grow us and then help others grow? What would that be like? What would it be like to have no fear of rejection because you know you're already perfectly accepted? No more shame because we know it's not about perfection. It's about his love. See, when we accept Jesus' love, we never have to question our acceptance again. Listen, you are not your failures. You are invited to be a child of God, fully loved and fully accepted. You are invited to become exactly who Jesus knows you can and will be. So accept him. Be following him because he accepts you and loves you. And then choose to offer that acceptance to those he brings you. Failure doesn't have to be the end. It can be the beginning of something you never expected because Jesus's love eclipses our failures. Thank you so much for watching this content put out by Cross Creek Community Church. You can find out more about who we are and where we are on our website, yourcrosscreek.com. There's lots of information also in the show notes for you, including this episode's main points, discussion questions, and this week's challenge. Also linked in the description or the show notes are our dates for June, which will be our in-person gatherings, June 12th and June 26th. Our final Youth Connect of the school year will be June 5th at 5 p.m. at Gateway Community Church, where we meet at 525 Idlewood Drive. We'll also see you there for our June 12th and June 26th meetings. We're looking forward to being in person together this summer. It's going to be beautiful. We hope you have a beautiful Memorial Day weekend. And next weekend, there won't be any new content put out for you, but it's a great opportunity for you to catch up on any messages you've missed in the past. We'll come back that following weekend with a new series for you. Feel free to reach out to us using our email address, info at yourcrosscreek.com, or head over to the welcome form on our website, yourcrosscreek.com slash welcome, and let us know you're watching. We hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend, and we'll see you soon.